Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. And if you notice up here, we've helpfully put the page on if you look in the Bible down in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, we're going through this series on the the various ways that we worship God, the things that we do in this service. And I'm willing to bet that the first four would not surprise anyone. If you ask somebody, or somebody came to you and said, oh, what'd you do in church today? And you said, oh, well, we sang some, we prayed some, there was an offering, and we listened to a preacher. Sure, that, that, that happens all the time in churches all over the world. Uh, these next two, this week and next week, we're gonna talk about some things that most churches don't do every week, although we actually do one of them each week. This week, we're gonna talk about communion, the Lord's Supper, and next week, we're gonna talk about baptism. And these also are part of our worship. We do do communion each week. Obviously, we don't have baptisms unless there's somebody to baptize. But this is part of how we worship God. And we are fortunate that there's this great little passage in 1 Corinthians from verse 23 to verse 26 where Paul explains the importance of the Lord's Supper. Why this is so significant. All right, now this is one of those cases of do as I say, not as I do. Because I've told you so many times, right, never just pull out a couple verses from the middle of something and use it to make your point. In any book this big, you can find a sentence somewhere that will say what you want it to say. So there's a place where Jesus says, whatever you are about to do, do quickly, right? So when you all drive home, I expect all of you to get speeding tickets because you are obeying, you tell the cop, I am obeying the Lord Jesus who said, whatever I do, do it quickly, the most important things in understanding the Bible. The three most important things in understanding the Bible. Context, context, context. When Jesus says that, he's talking to Judas. On the night he, Judas is going to betray him, and he's telling Judas, look, let's get this done. You know what's gonna happen, let's go. Right? Context. He's not making a command to all his disciples. He's telling one guy one thing at one time. Don't pull little verses out of something and prove your point. Fortunately, if you were here last year, we spent most of the year going through 1 Corinthians. So we know the context of this passage. We've gone through it. Most of the book of 1 Corinthians is Paul addressing these issues, and he's addressing an issue about them taking the Lord's Supper together. It starts back in verse 17, and up until verse 22, he's telling them what you're doing is wrong. If you look at the end of verse 22, shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. And then from 27 on down, he's telling them why what they're doing is wrong and what they should do about it. But there's these couple little verses in the middle where he tells them why communion is so important, why they're doing what they're doing, why it matters, why they should care that they're doing it wrong. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. So follow along with me, and it won't take long. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. It should sound familiar, because it's what I read to you every week when we take communion. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul is explaining to the Corinthian church why they do communion and what's significant about it. And he starts in verse 23, for I received from the Lord 
what I passed on to you. Paul planted this church in Corinth in 51, 52 AD. We're four or five years later. If you remember from 1 Corinthians, they've had a bunch of issues in the church. They've sent some guys to Paul to ask him what to do. 1 Corinthians is his letter back, explaining to them what they're doing and how they should change and, and all these things. But Paul planted the church. And in his time there, one of the things he instituted was the Lord's Supper. I received this from the Lord, he said, and so I pass it on to you. We know from other passages of the scripture. However long Paul was in a city, when he planted a church, this is one of the things that he taught people to do. This was part of how they should worship. And the church has always worshiped this way. If you want to flip back, and if you don't, I'll read it to you anyway, to the book of Acts, which is a history of the early church. In Acts 2, we have the, the creation of the church. This is when we get the very first church. We're less than two months after the resurrection of Christ. The first people come together to become a church. And in chapter two, verse 42, it says they, these are the Christians in the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So in the early church, the very first church, two months, less than two months after Jesus' resurrection, they are devoting themselves to teaching. We talked about that last week, preaching. To fellowship, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. To the breaking of bread. That's not eating together. That's not another word for fellowship. He's not saying fellowship twice, that's communion. To, to the breaking of bread, the, the passing out, to eating it together. They devoted themselves to communion and to prayer, which we've also talked about. Like one of the four things that the first church did when they worshiped from the very beginning was they celebrated what we celebrate every week as well. They celebrated the Lord's Supper. They celebrated communion. And so Paul, when he founded this church, he told them, we're gonna do this. This is part of worship. He instituted that because it comes from the Lord. So if you wanna flip back again, or not, because I'm gonna read it to you, back in Luke, you know, all the gospel writers record Jesus meeting with his disciples the night he's betrayed. We call it the Lord's Supper. They're celebrating Passover. It's the Passover meal on the night that he's gonna be arrested. And in the book of Luke, it talks about how they make the preparations and everybody gets together. And it says in Luke twenty two fourteen, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at table because they don't have chairs. You know, they, they lay down propped on one arm and they eat the food. And Jesus said to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have eagerly desired. Now, because my son was married yesterday, thank you all of you who came, my whole family is here in Atlanta. My brother and his family are here, my sister's here, my parents are here, my aunt is here. I don't think we've all been in the same room together for five plus years. We've seen each other other times. But we've not been all in the same room together for all that time. So later today, we're all going to get together in the same room together. You can understand how somebody would, we'd, oh, I've eagerly desired. Because I haven't seen these people in a long time. Jesus, he's been with the disciples all day. He was with them all the day before. The day before. They've been together for two to three years. Do you know how many days he spent with these guys? Do you know how many meals he's eaten with these guys? They ate dinner the day before together. And they ate dinner the day before that. And they ate dinner the day before that. They have eaten hundreds, maybe thousands of meals together. It's not like he hasn't seen them. He saw them that morning. But he says, I've eagerly desired to eat this meal with you 
it, it, it's not about that, oh, I haven't seen you guys. It's something's going on. There's something for Jesus about them eating the Passover meal together that he, he cared about. It was significant to him in a way that those other meals weren't. He had breakfast with them that day. He's not saying, oh, I eagerly desired to have cornflakes with you. I eagerly desired to have this meal with you. It was important to him. You know, Jesus will say, this is my body. And boy, churches and theologians, we have tied ourselves up in knots about how literal does he mean that. Like, does he mean that really literally? Like, that's not just bread and cups of juice. It's literally the body and blood of Christ. That's what the Catholic Church teaches. It has been transformed in some way we can't explain into the body and blood of Christ. Other churches will say, well, it's not the body and blood now, but if you're a Christian, when you eat it inside you, that's where the transformation happens. But it becomes the true body and blood of Christ inside you. That's what the Lutheran church teaches. I mean, scripture doesn't ever tell us. Nobody ever explains this, they just say it. So you're welcome to believe what you want. Most churches, ours included, believe it's symbolic. He's not saying, oh, this is really my body and blood. It's a symbol. It represents his body and blood because he's doing this in Passover. So if you've ever been to a Passover Seder, it's full of symbols. You have bitter herbs that represent the people's slavery in Egypt. And you have salt water that represents their tears. And you have apples and honey that represents God's goodness and mercy to people. You have all these symbols. Most churches, we would say, He's using the bread, the, the, the matzah that's part of the ceremony, he's using that as a symbol of his own body. He's using the, the cups of wine that they drank as a symbol of what's going on. But I wonder, if our, us who call, just call it a symbol, if we're missing something that, that our more liturgical brothers and sisters get better than we do. Because Jesus said this matters to me. I have eagerly desired this. Jesus instituted this. How many things did Jesus say, hey, every time you get together, do this? It's pretty much the only one I can think of. This mattered to Christ. He, he told his disciples to do it. They continued it and did it after his death and resurrection. Paul, he's, 30, he's 20 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, and he's still teaching his churches to do it, and we're still doing it today. This chain from all of your brothers and sisters down through history, we have always celebrated. We have always worshiped like this, and it is one of the things that sets Christians apart. Nobody else does this. If you lived in Corinth when Paul writes this letter, mid-50s AD, and you went to a Christian church on Sunday, and then on Monday you went to the Temple of Apollo, lots of it would look the same. They would both sing songs. There would be teaching from the, the pastor or the priest of Apollo. There would be prayers offered. I guarantee you there'd be an offering taking at the, uh, the, church, uh, the Temple of Apollo. I don't know if there was an offering taking in the church or not. All the things, they would all be the same, but not this. At, at Apollo, there's no communion. You're not communing with Apollo. He's a god. He's out there somewhere. If he chooses to speak with you, he will. If he chooses to get involved, he will. But, but you're not going to commune with him. But in the Christian church, you are. We take that bread. We take that cup. Somehow, we commune with Christ and, and it's happened to me, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I bet you can list times 
When Jesus has met you in communion, when Jesus has ministered to you through that bread and that cup, I I can't explain it. But Paul gets it. This comes from Jesus. It was important to him. You need to do it, and you need to do it right, he says. This isn't something we can just pass over. It is. I think it's absolutely a symbol. Right? The bread is absolutely a symbol for his body. It's not really his body. It doesn't become his body. But it's a symbol like this is a symbol. This is a symbol of something important. This is a symbol of someone important. This is a symbol of a vow and a promise. And when I finish here, I'm going to go back down and sit next to the person that this represents. When we take the bread, when we take the cup, yes, it's a symbol, but it's a person. There's a person behind this. You have time when we take communion. You know, either you're in the front and you get it and then you sit down and wait, or maybe you don't get up right away and you end up in line. You have time. You have a couple minutes before we all take it together. Do you expect Jesus to meet with you in that time? Do you expect that as you eat this bread and you drink that cup of juice, that Jesus eagerly desires to meet with you, that he gave this to us. It was important to him. He told us to do it, and we're still doing it. It mattered. When you're sitting there today, when we take communion at the end of this message, I want you to expect that Jesus is going to minister to you, that that, that in some mystical way that I can't explain, his body, his blood, that's going to matter, that he desires that. It's not you. You don't have to do it. It's him. He set it up. He says it's important. He gave it to us. As you're sitting, waiting, when we take communion, expect that Jesus will minister to you somehow in this time. Just like he ministers to us in the song, he ministers to us in prayers, he ministers to us in all these different ways. As you're sitting there, if you're, you're, expect that Jesus is going to do something. I don't know what it's going to be. But somehow, he wants to connect with you through this. It's his idea. This isn't some tradition we came up with that we thought, oh, we really ought to remember Jesus' sacrifice. What, what could we do? We could have coloring books. No, that, that doesn't really work. Oh, let's use bread and, a, and, and some juice. He said to do this. As you sit there, expect it. Expect that he's going to do something. He's going to meet with you. Okay, it doesn't happen every time. I get that. But be expectant. And look at what Paul goes on to say happens. Why this is so, so important. Jesus says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you're reading a different translation, it might say to remember me or for my remembrance. But he's saying, do this so you remember. You need to remember. This is important. Now, have you ever been to a church where they they pass out the elements and as they give you the piece of bread, they say something like, the body of Christ broken for you. Did you notice he doesn't say that? He doesn't say, this is my body broken for you. He says, this is my body for you. He He never says, my body broken for you. We say that because it gets at this truth. Jesus' body was not broken. There's actually a prophecy that says none of his bones would be broken when he died. And they weren't, which is unusual. The Romans often would break your legs to speed up your death if they were trying to hurry things along in that crucifixion. His bones were not broken. And yet, still, we know, 
He was broken. He died. He was spiritually broken. He was spiritually crushed. See, if you go back to Genesis, like the very beginning, the first couple chapters of the Bible, there's just one guy, Adam, and there's just one rule in the whole world. There's only one rule. God says to Adam, Adam made all this for you. Go anywhere you want, do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, but there's that one tree. You see that tree? That tree over there? Don't eat from that tree. That tree's poison. When you eat, if you eat from that tree, you'll die. Don't eat from that tree. Adam, obey me. Adam, if you will obey me, you will live. Adam, if you will obey me, I will bless you. Things will go well for you. Adam, just obey me about the tree and everything will go well. And if you know the story, you know Adam said no. Adam disobeyed. He did not obey God. And so we have the world we live in now where, where selfishness rules, where, where we are all about trying to get everything we need and protect ourselves. Adam did not obey God. And thousands of years later, God says to Jesus, Jesus, obey me. Now there's not just one rule at this time, there's myriads out there. But he says to Jesus, obey me. And if you obey me, I will crush you. I will ground you into dust. Adam, obey me. Stay away from that tree. And Adam said, no. God said, Jesus, obey me. Die on that tree. And Jesus said, yes. And we take this matzah you know, and we break off pieces and we tell you it's the body of Christ broken for you, what we ought to say, what I ought to give to you is the body of Christ. Crushed into powder for you. I should give you a speck because that's what happened to him. That's what the creed tells us. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, he descended into hell. He was crushed, ground into powder by his father because he obeyed. Because he did what no one else had ever done in the history of the world. He obeyed everything. He never, never stepped away and said no and did it his way. And God who never lies and always keeps his word did exactly what he promised. He crushed him. He crushed him for us. When you take that piece of bread, you need to remember that. This is our fault. Jesus didn't do this. Jesus didn't mess this up. The world doesn't look the way it does. There's not wars going on all over the place. Children don't die of starvation or being trampled or malaria or whatever because God made that world. That's on us. We decided that. And we decide it every day in our hearts because we're selfish. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize how devoted to me I am. How completely devoted to me I am inside. When you take that bread, you need to remember that. You are so much worse than you think. We are so bad, the Son of God had to be crushed into dust to save us. And then just like the bread has two sides, you need to remember the other side as well. You are more loved than you can possibly imagine.
Scripture says, the book of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured this. Now, I have never been crucified personally. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Doesn't sound like something I would think is joyful. Only one thing changed in the universe between before Jesus died and after he died. And that's us. Before Jesus died, we were separated from God. Our selfishness, our our disobedience, our no, we won't live your way, that separated us from him. And we could not come back to him. And after Jesus died, we could. That's the only thing in the universe that changed. What Jesus saw that was a joy to him was you coming back, me coming back. Now he doesn't make us. He didn't make Adam obey about the tree. He let Adam disobey. He doesn't make anybody come back to him. But it's possible now. It wasn't wasn't possible before. Paul will say in Romans, God had to leave all the sins committed before Christ unpunished. Because if he was just and gave people what they deserve, he'd have to destroy everybody. So he waited. He waited until Christ came. He waited until Christ died. And then he didn't have to punish all those people anymore. Jesus had taken justice. Jesus says, this is my body. It's for you. And it is. God crushes Jesus into powder for us so that we can come back. Because look at what he says, the very next sentence. After supper, he takes the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This is Passover. They're celebrating the Passover meal. As I said, it's full of symbols. There's four cups. It's four cups of wine you will drink during the Passover meal. The first two you drink before the meal. And you have the symbols and you dip the bitter herbs and the salt water and you, you go through all that. And then halfway through the ceremony, I mean, it takes a long time. When I told a friend, of, I'm a friend of mine who's Jewish that we were having a Seder and I invited them to come to it. She's like, does it last six hours like ours do? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> no, we, we have sort of a, an abbreviated schedule. So you, you have all this symbolism, all these things you do, and then you have a meal. You all eat the whole meal together. But you're only, you've only halfway gone through the ceremony after you finish the meal. The next thing after the meal is the third cup. It's called the cup of redemption. And it's a symbol. It remembers when God saved the people of Israel in Egypt, when the angel of death was gonna pass over the country and kill the firstborn son in every family. And as a firstborn son, you know, I, I kind of feel that story. And God says to his people, I'll make a covenant with you. I'll make an agreement. If you will kill a lamb, take the blood of the lamb and paint it on the top of your doorway, on the little doorposts, right? Then when the angel of death sees that, it will pass over your house. That's where the name comes from, Passover. The angel of death won't come into your house and kill your oldest son. You will live. If you will obey me, about the lamb, then your children will live. And everyone who killed the lamb, took the blood, put it over their doorway, then their children lived. That's what Jesus should say. He should pick up this cup as he leads the ceremony and he should say, brothers, this is the cup of redemption. It remembers how God redeemed and saved our children. He doesn't say that. He picks up the cup and he says, This is the new agreement. 
This is the new promise. This is the new covenant. This is the new deal. And it's in my blood. It's not you. You don't gotta kill anything. You don't gotta paint anything. It's me. I do it. This is a new covenant of redemption in my blood. And all you have to do is agree. All you have to do is accept. Before, if you wanted to save your kids, you had to kill a lamb and paint blood on the doorpost. That's it. If you did that, your kids lived. Here's the new covenant, Jesus says. If you will ask, you will live. That's all you have to do. You just have to ask. And you don't gotta come down front and you don't gotta go to a, uh, any sort of special program and you don't gotta say anything out loud. You just have to tell God. You have to tell Jesus, I believe this. Like I hear it and I believe it. I believe you died for me. I believe what he said about you getting crushed, that you did that for me. I believe, yeah, I'm selfish. Yep, I wanna live my own life. I get it. If you say that to him, I believe this, then it's a done deal. The, the agreement is done. And look what Paul says at the end. That agreement, that, that first covenant, that was a one-time deal. It was for that night. That's it, right? If the next day I went and painted blood over my doorpost, that didn't mean my kids were gonna live forever. Right? Hey, we're just gonna paint blood every night and nobody will ever die. It was a one-time deal. Look what Paul says at the end of this. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Literally, you preach the Lord's death. Every time we do this, we preach that the deal's still out there. The agreement is still there. It was not a one-time deal. It is in effect until he returns. Because he will return, scripture says. One day, he will come back, and he won't just change us, he'll change everything. He will set the world back to the way it's supposed to be. But until then, Paul says, every time we do this, we preach that Jesus has died for us. That that agreement is still in effect. If you want to live, all you gotta do is ask. All you gotta do is say, yes, I believe that. And then Jesus says, done. Just like the angel saw blood on the doorpost, said, nope, not for me, and went on to the next one. If you say to Jesus, yes, I believe. I believe you died for me. Then scripture says you are transferred from death to life, from darkness into light. And Paul says, and we're gonna preach that every time we get together. You know, as we do this, we're looking back, we're remembering Jesus, but we're also preaching out today, it's still true. His body is still available if you want it. And we are reminding ourselves that one day he will return. All of that is going on when we do this, which is why Paul spends all this time saying, hey, this is important, don't mess this up. As we take communion today, as you sit there for those moments, expect Jesus to meet you. He eagerly desires. It's his idea. It's important to him. Remember those two things, those two sides of the piece of bread. You are so much worse than you think you are. Wow. You are so, so much worse than you think you are. And you are so much more loved than you can possibly imagine the Son of God thought it was a joy to get crucified to bring 
you back after you left. And scripture says, sold yourself into slavery. And he thought it was a joy to pay that off by dying. You are worse than you can possibly imagine. Oh, and you are loved more than you can ever dream of. Hold that piece of bread and remember that. Hold that cup and remember that we are preaching that out to the world every week. This is the body of Christ. It is for you. If you want it, it's yours. So I'm gonna pray for us. When I finish praying, we're gonna celebrate communion, just as we always do. So there's stations in every corner. They're all the same. There's also gluten-free down here just to my right if you need that. I'm gonna pray, and when I'm done praying, just get up and go to any one of the five stations, get a piece of bread, get the cup, don't do anything with it, take it back to your seat. I'm gonna read this again. We're gonna take communion together. Now, we practice what is known as open communion in this church, which means you don't have to be a member of our church to, to take communion. You just have to be a Christian. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have ever said to Jesus, Jesus, I believe you died for me, then come. This is for all of us. If you've never said that, right? And I mean, if you said that two minutes ago or you said that 20 years ago, doesn't matter. If you've said that to him, come and do all the things we've said. If you've never said that, right? If you're just, that, that, you're just not sure about that, then please don't take this. Like this is the only part of the service we ask you if you're not a Christian, don't participate in. Because this, this is for people who have taken that deal. They've taken that covenant. They have agreed with what Jesus said. That yep, I am way worse than I've ever thought. And yes, you love me more than I can possibly imagine. If you're not there yet, just hang out in your seat. Nobody's gonna think any less of you. Honestly, we're probably not even gonna notice as everyone gets up and mills around. But if you've taken Jesus up on his offer, then when I finish praying, get up, go to one of the stations, get the bread, get the cup, bring it back to your seats, and we will take it together. We will remember together. We'll do exactly what Paul says and what Jesus has said. So pray with me. Lord, thank you. Thank you. You, you did this. I mean, this is all you. That's what Paul says. You took the bread, you gave thanks, you broke it, you said, you took the cup, you said. It's a covenant in your blood. It's not anything we do. You do it and offer it to us. Thank you. Thank you that you think that's joyful. I can't imagine thinking, getting crucified for someone who rebelled against me. To think that that's wonderful. But the Bible says over and over again, you do. You are filled with joy to bring your people back. Thank you. Lord, we are so grateful. As we take the elements again today, and you know, we do this every week. Jesus, meet us. Do exactly what you said to your disciples. You eagerly desired to meet them in that meal. We pray, Lord, you would meet us in this meal that we would remember. We would remember that we are worse than we think, and we would remember that you love us more than we can imagine. That we would preach and proclaim and announce again that your body is broken for us. That anyone who wants can come. It is for us. Thank you. Thank you. We are so, so grateful for your mercy to us. 
And so Jesus, of course, we pray in your name. We pray everything in your name. Amen.